Hello there, my lovely people, and welcome to a filmic foray into the partial historians. I am Dr. Radford. And I'm Dr. Greenfield. Welcome. Indeed, we're in the classic era of Hollywood movie making, I believe, Dr. G. Oh, oh the classic era of oh, the film. It's, uh, yes, well, and <laughs> Ben Hur, anybody? Indeed. Who was the, who was the director? William Wyler. Yeah, yeah, means nothing to me. <laughs> William Wyler is a very big director. In fact... Well, he does have very big films. He does. And in fact, he uh, he actually um, helped out on the one of the earlier versions of Ben-Hur. Because, of course, the 1959 Ben-Hur was not the first. Yeah, there was the silent film, wasn't there, from Indeed. the 20s? There's a couple, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It has a long, really? It has oh, a long history, Ben-Hur. Maybe we should start with that. <laughs> oh, no, please don't. I don't think I could handle watching more versions of Ben-Hur than I already have. <laughs> well, basically, I think the one of the most interesting aspects about Ben-Hur, the movie, is uh, that it does actually extend so far back. Because it's actually based on a novel, as so many of these big Roman epics mm. are. Mm. And uh, this novel was written by a man called General Lew Wallace. He was uh, an American Civil War veteran, and he was the governor of New Mexico uh, at the time. That's the sort of thing that prompts a long novel writing. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. And, he, you know, this is during the time where the Spanish-Mexican landowners are fighting with the new white uh, people in the area. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of chaos around him. You see lots of blendings of culture and clashes of culture, which perhaps Mm. is where he got the whole idea, I think. Maybe some of these intentions informed Ben-Hur itself. I think so, yeah. Yeah, because he had quite a troubled little area to run. In fact, he had to run it with Billy the Kid. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, importantly, I mean, Ben-Hur is a tale of the Christ, so I don't Mm. know that we can necessarily suppose that it's particularly Roman. Um, no, yeah, there's a lot If we're running it, yeah. from a historian's perspective, I have to say I was rather a little bit disappointed with the negative portrayal of the Romans. <laughs> I think it's this classic Roman bad guy, though. Oh, they come across as so heartless. I know. But Masala seems so nice in the beginning of the <laughs> Well, that's the whole thing, isn't it? It's kind of a, you kind of think it's going to be a tale about Ben Hur and Masala, but wait. But There's wait. more. It's much, much more. <laughs> mm. It's rather a lengthy book, um, but it was incredibly popular. After a bit of a slow start, mm. it ended up selling, I think, almost as many copies as the Bible. It was hugely popular. And so that's why he had so many people beating down his door to turn it into a play. Please. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I beg you. <laughs> um, but he held out because of the very thing you mentioned just earlier. The Seaman, the JC Man. Oh, oh, the Christ figure. Yeah, well, I find it really interesting. There's this, obviously, it's an intensely uh, Christian film, and yeah. and the way that they've pursued the representation of Christ mm. in this film, it's very. I, I suppose it's still with rather indirectly, but it's obviously interwoven throughout the whole story. Yeah, exactly. Because um, Lou Wallace was worried about, um, you know, sort of. How do you portray Jesus with any dignity on the stage? Outrageous! <laughs> and so he held out for a really long time against selling the rights so that they could do a play version of this. Um, but eventually they, they managed to get together an agreement um, just around the turn of the um, 20th century uh, of doing the play but without ever actually showing Jesus. So, you know, if there was, <laughs> if there was a need for Jesus, um, he might be like a beam of light or something like that. Um, yeah, exactly. So there was always this concern. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it 
really has followed through all the way to the Ben Hur that we know and love from 1959. Mm, mm. As have you know, as have the evil Romans. <laughs> the evil Romans. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's a there's a lot of interesting sort of misrepresentations that mm. take place in this film. Do tell. Um, <laughs> well, there's sort of like this juxtaposition of of the Roman system as an entirety yeah. against this idea of. Uh, the Jewish people being the, so great. <laughs> the, the Jewish people. And, and the Jewish people are a very small part of the Roman Empire yeah. at, in the time period that we're talking about. The film is largely set under the reign of Tiberius. Mm. Um, I'm daydreaming in case you can't see <laughs> One of Dr. Radford's great lines <laughs> right there. So, but Tiberius has very little to do with this film. I mean, yeah. it's, it, this is part of... Um, the historical intersection of the life of a man known as Jesus and Roman history. Yeah, and in that and sense, a fictional man named Ben Hur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like a mystery wrapped in an enigma. Um, <laughs> it is a little bit, and it it is. I suppose it is. It is really interesting that it's so from a Judeo-Christian point of view. Because of course, if you were telling this story from a Roman point of view. They'd just be really annoying. Like, and yeah, this, and there wouldn't yeah. be much of a story. This film would be far shorter. Yeah, um. that's true. <laughs> because, I mean, typically the Jewish populace uh, in, uh, you know, under the Roman rule could be quite troublesome in certain areas of the empire. Um, particularly in places like Alexandria. I mean, they they had different tax provisions and all this sort of stuff, but they yeah. were more of a nuisance than anything else. Yeah. And it certainly wasn't part of the area in which I think Tiberius felt he had the most to gain militarily-wise. No, no, exactly. Uh, and there's this idea that there's, there's a, a fixed sense of Roman Empire that's built into this sort of film, which doesn't reflect the sort of contemporary politics of the time, which was much more up in the air in terms of the solidity of Tiberius's rule sure. and the nature of empire itself, whereas it appears in this film to be a monolith that you just cannot yeah. override or prevent or stop in any way. And no, no. Just get into it. <laughs> <laughs> just become a Roman. Exactly. <laughs> Judah, what are you thinking? Yeah, and the Roman, I suppose the Roman culture as a result comes across as being very uniform, mm. I suppose, mm. because it's like, you know, one way or the highway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Join us. Why won't you give up your friends? Exactly. <laughs> I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> and I suppose, actually, it's interesting you bring up that point because this film has, it's very long and there's so much that you could sort of read into it. Mm. I mean, that whole idea of not giving up your friends, it, it takes me back to Spartacus, Dr. G, I have to say. Because <laughs> uh, it, it, of course, was made during this whole blacklist mm. period that we talked about with Spartacus as well. Mm. Um, and so you can kind of... Spartacus the film, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, Spartacus the film. <laughs> I'd be impressed if it was Spartacus the <laughs> uh, Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that you do have these, you know, a couple of these sorts of scenes which seem to, ha- to be perhaps a bit of a commentary mm. on the blacklist period, but... Then again, there's just so much going on in this film. Yeah, it's hardly the yeah the main point of it or anything. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, one of the many subtexts. Yeah, I mean, not to mention that this film was quite famous for the fact that it had many screenwriters. Mm. Um, now that's not unusual uh, in this era. In fact, it's not even it's not even unusual in this day and age. It's quite normal to have a couple of people working on a script, but in this case, um, because it was so chop and change, they actually end up having to go to the screenwriters guild and getting them to like. Um, basically make a decision on who is going to get the credit for it. Um, and it, it kind, of, kind of screwed up all of the people's chances for, like, 
you know, for Oscars and that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. It made it very difficult. So there was all sorts of politics going on around Behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, and one of the screenwriters was, of course, Gore Vidal. Mm. Um, he's quite a noted writer. And, I mean, he claims he brought things like, you know, homosexual... Uh, undertones. Oh, really? Because I thought I spotted some of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was really excited when, when Judah Ben-Hur and Masala uh, see each other right near the start of the film. And I was like, these guys, mm. they're like, they're so in love with yeah. each other. And then I was like, oh, Esther. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh there's this... There's She's this, dull and plain. But yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a female interest for Ben-Hur. And I was like, these two guys seem like they're more than just friends. Yeah. There's an intensity to their friendship on screen in the in the beginning which makes you think I wonder I wonder for sure yeah Gore Vidal claims that he had a bit of a word uh, about this scene uh, and basically said you know play it like you guys are sort of frustrated long lost lovers mm. but of course Charlton Heston being the kind of guy that he was <laughs> uh, always vehemently denied this story Wait, but then they have the sharing of the thrown javelins into the thing oh I know it's, uh, there is something going you on know, there you know it's like when you throw javelins together yeah like <laughs> those who throw together yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's they're throwing javelins yeah well I think it's also because this film is kind of missing a dynamic that earlier plays mm. uh, based on the novel had um, which was there's meant to be two female love interests uh, ah, for Ben-Hur. There's meant okay. to be the sort of worldly, wicked adventurous mm. who's obviously exciting and wise and funny and everything good. And then there's Esther. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course... Is the other one Roman? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, the other one um, has to basically... Esther basically has going for her the fact that she is, you know, from this same religious background and she's a good girl so oh, yeah. you know he's going to wind up with her eventually yeah. but he has to have a bit of fun and along she, the way and she's clearly been and she's like a vehicle for Christianity in a way symbolically yes. throughout this film yeah. pushing that idea of like I've heard these stories about forgiveness you know have, yes. you, have you thought about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe not vengeance maybe, yeah maybe you should watch Spartacus so. season two and see how that works out <laughs> it's like we could go down this vengeance path with Masala or how about forgiveness? Yeah, she's always kind of a bit of a conscience, I so suppose. Then, so yeah. then, uh, and I hate to, spoilers, I'm sorry, people. Yeah. But, so then the death of Masala is sort of recast as a tragedy of a missed opportunity of forgiveness. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, hello, he's riding black horses, wearing a black uniform. He clearly has a black heart and therefore he's not going to have any redemption before he dies. <laughs> a Roman with a dark soul and a pair of dark horses. A couple of pairs of dark horses. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, colour symbolism, it always comes into it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, this film doesn't beat about the bush. No, not yeah. at all. I do like their extensive use of purple as well. Um, Indeed, yes. They, they know when to... Uh, to signal the Romans in yeah, the Yeah, I have to say, like, in terms of, like, my vision of, like, how I imagine the Roman world, yes. this is not quite it, I have to say. I'm like, there's ah. a... Well, I mean, there's an, <laughs> there's an incredible uniformity to um, the costuming of the Romans, yeah, which sure. I think is, is lovely, but I don't know if that would have been so precisely the case. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose um, it's kind of the thing, the, the weird the weird and wonderful world of Roman cinema um, is that <laughs> costume designers, when they are trying to 
come up with costumes for Roman men, mm. they don't have necessarily a huge range to choose from because they're really yeah. they're really drawing on if they're going the accurate route. Let's say you're either a soldier, yeah, or, or you're, you're in part a toga. of the Senate, yeah, exactly. And I think because they want to send very clear messages to the audience, mm. people in a toga are senators, politicians. People yeah. who walk around in armour, even though it's completely unnecessary, are, <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know, I guess, guess your average Joe, who in Roman terms <laughs> is obviously also a soldier <laughs> of some yeah. sort. Because yeah. that's the thing, they, in these sorts of films, men are always wearing full armour, even when they're not in battle. <laughs> Life is troublesome. Yeah. Now, um, in terms of things that are that are interesting to me, the the triumph procession. Yes, um, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so to place that in a little bit of context, Ben Hur rescues Arius. Yes, who is apparently uh, a Roman consul. Yes, um, <laughs> and and they have uh, a triumph awarded. Well, it can't really be a triumph. You don't really have triumphs under Tiberius. No, of course not. It, but it, it but must let's, be... pre- let's pretend that you do. Well, <laughs> maybe it's an avatio. Um, but they they parade in, and this this interesting moment where Ben Hur does get to be part of the triumphal procession mm. on the chariot of the consul. It's like what? This... I don't know. Well, <laughs> and, also, and also, and yeah. also. Never, yeah, never, never, could happen, never yeah. would have happened. Yeah, yeah. And and also this unusual jump from being one a slave to being manumitted, which is reasonable enough. Yes, to being the adopted son. Mm. That's a leap that not I. Um, I'm baffled. Yeah, <laughs> I'm baffled. But it makes but this is the whole thing. You know, this the story narrative demands these kinds of. Is this the power of the Christ on Roman history? Uh, I don't know if it's so much Christ. I think it's more the fact that Ben Hur. He needs to suffer. Yes. And then he oh, needs he to be... Suffers. Yeah, and then he needs to be brought back into the kind of position where he can continue his rivalry with Masala. You know, mm. he, can, he can ride that relationship to its conclusion. Yes. And the only way he's really going to realistically do that... Is, is to become if, the enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Get into I, their head. <laughs> I am now a Roman. Yeah. Well, even, even just being placed in the kind of position where he's likely to ever see Masala again. I mean, let's yes. face it. If he was left on that... Um, galley ship, which he was That's kind of to. the end of his life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he'd be dead yeah. reasonably soon or far, far away from mm. Masala. Mm. Um, he needs to... Ha- there's something needed to happen that would bring him back into contact with Masala and preferably just to get under Masala's skin and make that conflict even worse on an equal or reasonably equal footing with Masala, mm. you know, so he can go, hey, guess what? I'm the adopted son. <laughs> Fuck, I'm mad. <laughs> oh, I seem to have received a guest from the son of the consul, Arius. Oh, yeah. What could this be? <laughs> oh, how delightful. <laughs> it's like, Please, shake him in. It's like, hmm... Mm, you're not the man I was expecting. Yes, I mean, I know, I know it's obviously... News travel slowly. <laughs> I know it's probably unlikely in the Roman world, but yet... The story demands it. The story demands the it. The story demands and thus it. it happens. Exactly. So what was your other point of contention, perhaps? Um, my other point of contention? I'm, I'm not sure that I necessarily had too many points of contention. I mean, it's all rather far-fetched, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. It's obviously a fiction. Mm. Um, I think the it's interesting that the focus, despite the fact that this is a film which purports to be about Christ and clearly it is particularly the further you get into it yeah um so little is shown of him 
yeah. um, in a way to sort of, of respect, pre- yeah, <laughs> to, to preserve something of the mystery. But I feel like uh, they've missed a trick in a way because they could have given you some detail about how this man ends up in this position where he's completely vilified by the Romans. Um, that's a that's a leap that doesn't really get explored in any particular depth. Sure. Uh, and I think that's hugely important <laughs> in, from, from a historical perspective. Yeah. I guess Ben-Hur kind of undergoes... I mean, not, not a similar journey, that wouldn't be mm. right, but he because he kind of has that, that fall, you know, to the low, low depths, mm. and then sort of works his way through his suffering, you know, he's, you know, lo- he thinks he's lost his mother and sister and all that kind of stuff. I think the whole idea is, yeah, he just has these moments that he sort of intersects with this, you know, great figure mm. and is, I think it's also supposed to sort of show how someone so peripheral to Christ can still so benefit. Profoundly yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it is it is kind of a weird thing, but I think it kind of I think it has a purpose nonetheless. Well, I yeah. think it's really interesting. I think there's a huge contrast to be made as well in the scene where uh, Ben Hur has been taken as a slave. Yes. And he's been he's on his journey to the galleys where he's gonna serve some time as a rower. Yeah. Uh, an oarsman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the moment that they go through what appears to be Nazareth Um, where he's thirsty and this figure offers him water and and this figure who we don't see but is clearly in silhouette Jesus um, also has a profound effect without having to do anything upon the Roman soldiery as well and I think that it's a hugely symbolic moment in the film and I also it raises questions for me I'm like well if that's the nature of the power of the Christ yes. how did he ever get caught in the first place like if that's uh, yes. if this is the way that the Romans react he has to him superpowers. Yeah, yeah. yeah he has this ability this this charismatic presence yes. which, which influences people to such a degree that enable him to interact in a compassionate way with everybody mm. regardless of their position I see what you mean. How, how does he really run afoul of of the uh the forces, so I guess, to speak. they're just that evil. <laughs> Maybe eventually the mystique. The Romans off. are that evil. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> well, I think I mean the whole thing about keeping Christ so out of the story, even though it purports to be a story about him. Mm. Um, I think again, it sort of has its roots, and this is the funny thing about all these big um, Christian epics, I suppose you could say, or Roman Christian epics from this time, is that they really do have their roots in the to- what was called the toga plays mm. or the novels of the Victorian age. Yeah. And these were pretty big successes, and a lot of the movies that we know and love from this time, like Quervadas um, and Ben-Hur, stem all the way back from this point in time where they did actually tr- deliberately try and keep the Christianity vague. Yeah. You know, obviously they held it up there as being something... I know, suppose it's uh, it's like you're bringing the Christianity, the assumed knowledge to the text, and what you don't know is the history around that. And so they're kind of yeah. they're saying, look, we know that you understand this part of the story. Yeah. Let us give you some colour around that and see how you go. Yeah, and I think they just they want, they always want to keep the, the, the flavour of Christianity, I suppose, if you like nondescript so mm. that lots of people could come and identify with the Christians yeah and take a message away regardless yeah. of what that message yeah exactly and the, the interesting thing was that you know it's pretty universally accepted that these stories were also kind of meant to be stories about uh, the empires you know because you mm. have America the place where these were most popular was uh, Britain and America and so you sort of have plays that are about 
you know the dangers of empire, the rise of it, the rise <laughs> of empire, particularly the fall of the empire. These sort of cautionary tales. Yes. Um, so it's where? A of, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a situation where the audience supposedly could kind of identify with the Romans as well as the Christians, mm. and they were able to enjoy the decadence of the black-hearted Romans. <laughs> <laughs> because they then knew that the Christians who, okay, yeah, they were dull. The, the redemption would, is yeah, coming. Yeah, the, the redemption is coming. And so it's kind of an interesting dynamic that these plays had, and it really doesn't change a lot you know, in the mm. hundred years or so that it takes to get them into these sort of classic blockbuster films hmm. um, so yeah I don't know whether that's a hangover from it or whether it's yeah whether it's a lack of thought on their part oh, yeah yeah oh, I guess the only other thing that that I find really quite interesting I, I don't think we can have a podcast on Ben-Hur and not mention yes the chariot race oh yes it's quite a scene. I, I was just saying to you earlier, I think before we started recording, it's the kind of scene that really I don't think will ever get made again. It is, I think it's highly unlikely given the scope and the nature of Absolutely. it and the sheer amount of film that yeah. they shot. I mean, Ben-Hur cost a lot to make, but it was a massive success. Mm. And I think it still holds the record or it's equal with like Lord of the Rings or something for most Oscar nominations and wins. It is. With 11. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was a Big, big, big film. Um, so I guess at the time they kind of, I mean, they didn't necessarily have the resources, but it proved to be, a, you know, a gamble. Oh, paid it yeah. paid off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, the, I mean, the chariot race is amazing. I mean, all those people you see in the crowds are real people, not computer Oh, what? I know. Real people? <laughs> are you insane? <laughs> Pre-CGI? Yeah, well, I mean, exactly. I mean, you'd have to, I, I yeah, imagine you'd you've got to have the people. The Look, yeah. there are, and there are some amazing long shots to give you a sense of the scope oh, of, for the, sure. of the uh, the circus in which they're racing. Yes. Uh, and it, it seems like they've done a lot of research around yes. the the shape, the size, the scope of the yep. circus that they're using. And there was real danger involved in shooting that scene because they were using, obviously, they're real, they're, real horses, real people, mm. and they had to make the, the you know, stunt work. Those horses good. aren't walking, guys. No, they're, <laughs> I know, it's, it's, they're galloping. It's one of those things where when you're working with that many animals, I mean, what, there was like five teams in that race? So yeah. there's 20 horses yeah. close together in, you know, in close quarters. Mm. Four of them, you know, roped together yeah, yeah. for each team. How easily could something have gone wrong? Really? Oh, there's a whole and host of dangers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, famously when Charlton Heston, I, I, I'm using inverted commas here, <laughs> uh, flies out of the chariot during the race, that was actually a stuntman who very nearly got seriously injured yeah, by that yeah. fall. I mean, it was it was not meant to happen, but they left. Could, they could leave it in because, luckily, nothing too serious happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a it's a really interesting showcase of giving you a sense the way that they've cut it and put mm. it together. It really does create something about the Roman world that we don't have a lot of insight on. Like yes. we, we've got remnants of circuses, the Circus Maximus, you can go and see it. It's, yeah. it's very long. It's very narrow. Yes. Um, the turn is really tight. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you get to see the horses do that. And I think that's something that in a way, this film is a bit of a gift in that sense, bringing, recreating something like that for, um, sure. for a modern audience, just to give you that sense of scale and the danger involved. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and the chariot race was always a big set piece of the Ben-Hur films mm. because there are a couple of um, of earlier films before the 1959 film and 
And even the plays, they actually would put horses on treadmills on stage so they could actually have the chariot race. It was always a big... Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was always a big statement um, to be made. And so it's kind of... Poor horse. I know. It's kind of one of those things that you would expect if there was ever a new Ben-Hur film. I mean, I know there's recently been a Ben-Hur TV series. Mm. Um, and there's also been, you know, the Arena Spectacular, which was a colossal waste of money, by the way. But... There's still always, better, still twisted. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I spent a lot of money on it. But yeah, the, the horses, the chariot race, it's always really the highlight of this whole story. Mm. And in a way, it's symbolic of the of the changing relationship between the Jews and the Romans, yep. symbolically. Yeah. Um, the changing nature of vengeance versus forgiveness. This yes. is the pinnacle moment. And you feel like you get to the end of that scene and you feel like Ben-Hur is like, I kind of wish that had never really happened. I, yeah. I wish I hadn't gone down that path. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of interesting how, you know, with the whole chariot race, you do get this bonding together of um, the Arab sheik mm. and the Jewish slash Roman at this stage. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's interesting. But, and they, they seem to come across as terrible cliches. Um, but it would have been a very diverse ethnic world yeah. in, in Judea yes. during this period. Absolutely. Um, but it's interesting that in this film, it kind of feels like it's everyone versus the Romans. You know, they all feel Yeah, because the, the yeah. Romans are evil. Bastards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you noticed, but that's that's pretty much the main message of yeah. this film. <laughs> and and it breaks my heart because I, I love the Romans. I love the Romans too. But you know what? I kind of like seeing them being bad. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Romans misbehaving. Oh, oh Masala. Stop being so Romans bad. Romans wild. <laughs> He's taken off his shirt again. <laughs> On that note, I think, I think it's probably <laughs> Can't best. Can't get any steamier. <laughs> Join us next time. Mm, well, we'll take a look at another classic, a modern classic, a perhaps. modern classic indeed. Yes. <laughs> Gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> See you then. Laters. Laters.